My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me are three wonderful guests. I'm going to start with Laura Erickson Schroth. Hello. Hi. And Laura is a screenwriter and a psychiatrist specializing in LGBTQ health. She's written nonfiction about trans issues, including trans bodies, trans selves, and you're in the wrong bathroom, which sits proudly on our shelves at home. Uh, She is the writer of the original screenplay Stonewall Girls along with her co-writer Mike and what's my class name again? Michael Zanettis. Michael Zanettis who is here on the couch. Hello. And he's eaten all the Halloween candy but uh, that's okay. That's okay. And uh, uh, Stonewall Girls is actually about Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. We'll be talking about that later. And the project is in development with with director Sydney Freeland of Her Story, which has been mentioned on the story on this on this podcast before and it's represented by Gersh we also have Sonia Ellis who is a screenwriter who also provides screenplay coverage and works as a writing tutor she's a returning guest who was last year speaking about writing transgender characters with a background in poetry Sonia originally moved from Oklahoma to California for an MFA at UC Irvine where she was awarded a Strauss fellowship before turning to screenwriting Sonia's science fiction script the sub featuring a gender non-binary protagonist made it to quarterfinals in the Nickel Fellowship this year. Yay! Woohoo! Not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a big competition. Um, but yeah, thank you for such the great introduction. There are, there are about like 6,000 people who I think it was 7,000 this 7, year. 7,000. It's yeah. hard to make the quarterfinals for that. Wonderful job. Wonderful. Um, I also am very excited because today we are going to talk about writing non-binary characters. And because I'm not an expert on this subject, I this is where we bring in our third guest, who is actually going to be really the host today. I am turning over this podcast to this person. And this person just happens to be my 17-year-old daughter, Ezra Ray Dodson. Hello, Ezra. Hi, what's up? <laughs> so people, you know, you have a fan base out there. A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, because you were on the show uh, three years ago when you are 14, um, when you were Sarah. Um, everybody should know that Sarah has changed their name to Ezra. And uh, when... Uh, Ezra was here three years ago. Uh, They were talking about tropes in young adult fiction and TV. Um, And Ezra since changed their name and also identifies as non-binary, which is why I am now handing this episode over to them. Here, take the crown. Oh, it's so heavy. It's it's so heavy and it's so rusty. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, But before you begin, I want to ask you one of those like annoying mom questions. And that would be for you to define non-binary all right um so for me and for many other people being non-binary means that i feel my gender exists somewhere in between 
the binary of male and female or even a little bit outside of it. Uh, I don't feel like I'm completely female and I don't feel like I'm completely male. Somewhere in the middle. Uh, and because of this, I prefer the singular gender neutral pronoun they uh, as well as many other non-binary people. And uh, I also would just like to open it up to our guests to share their pronouns for this episode. So, Absolutely. I think I have a pretty similar uh, identity to you, Ezra. All right. uh, I identify in some ways as genderqueer or as female because I really like female communities and I want to stay in those. So I use she or they as my pronouns. Cool, cool. And I'll take the same pronoun, she, and recently been exploring with they. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, yeah. Um, the first thing that I want to talk about for this episode is I want to ask the question of since we just had to sort of introduce the audience to the concept of non-binary genders because my mom is not alone in the fact that a lot of people don't know what non-binary means still. So when you're writing a script or a book or really anything that features a non-binary protagonist, how do you educate the audience on what that means without making it the entire plot uh, while also having an actual story there? So I just want to know how you two have dealt with that in your writing. I think the first question I ask is, how much does this person want to educate other people? Um, because some characters may want to serve as a billboard, and you can kind of make it more built into their desire to teach other people how to treat them. Other characters, sometimes I think it's simply enough to just show a trans character existing and just let get people get used to seeing that and hearing how they're talked about um, by people that care about them and also see some of the struggles they go through. So, so watching somebody's experience is educating in and of itself. I think so. I think that kind of representation does matter and it does build up over time. There's not one way to be non-binary. Not everybody wants to explain stuff. And so I think there's room to just show what it is, but also have characters that are willing to advocate and really speak up on behalf of the community. I think there's room for both. Yeah. Yeah, I've sort of been thinking about this question a lot in the same sort of ways. And we were talking a little bit about it before the podcast. Uh, I don't know, for me, I hadn't thought about the idea that it's the type of character and what that character would do. I had been more thinking about where are we in time and what have people been exposed to and what do you sort of need to do to show them these things. And we'll talk, I think, a little bit about the uh, character Taylor in Billions. Uh, but I do really like that that was an overt introduction. It was, uh, you know... Uh, Taylor walks into the room and immediately the issue of pronouns comes up and it's very clear that it's, you know, said out loud specifically that this is how it is. Um, because I think it may still be a time in history when people have never even heard of the concept of genderqueer people or non-binary identity. So it may be important to do some sort of introduction. But I love the the idea that you bring up that you can also have somebody that just sort of exists in the world and over time people get to understand that character that way. Isn't that a little bit why Taylor and Billions actually works? Because with the exception of the what pronouns do you use, it stopped being an issue right away, right? Oh, immediately, yeah. I mean, that's that scene is amazing. Yeah, that, that, I agree. You know, Taylor walks in and acts is just like, yep, that's fine, moving on, business. Yeah. And then it just, uh, then we just learn about that character the way the character is. It's not learning that uh, that character isn't representing all non-binary people. It just happens to be maybe one of the only ones that are on TV. So for the moment, I also like that that show didn't make them alone in advocating for their pronouns. At one point, um, other characters do misgender them in front of the boss of the firm, and the boss just shuts it down. They don't make a big deal out of it. They don't give a sermon or a speech. They just say it, it's just they. And when it's coming from the top, it makes it very clear to everybody else, like, okay, this is a thing that's over now. We know how to refer to this person, and it's time to move on. So I feel like 
showing that it shouldn't just be the trans person in question who has to advocate. If people in power really do quickly make it clear that this is okay and kind of set some boundaries for their employees or the people beneath them, I think that really helps too. It shouldn't all be on the trans character. And that models that kind of work in real life too. I, I've seen that happen in hospitals because, you know, I'm a psychiatrist and I, I did intern year in Bellevue Hospital and I did a medicine rotation and I saw my um, attending at the time model that behavior and it's really important to see it from someone higher up. So what happened was there was a medical student who was misgendering someone. We had someone come in with a medical issue and it was a trans woman and the medical student kept saying like, oh yeah, he, she um, and the attending who knew not that much just like Axe knows not that much about this kind of thing was like no we're shutting it down if you say that again you're done you know this is a woman and modeling that on TV can model it for for other people in real life and they'll say okay if I'm a boss I'm allowed to you know this is what I should do and I can model that for my employees and it's really easy uh, and, it, and it demonstrates I think how easy it is uh, that it's not really a complicated thing. Seeing something on TV helps people to say, this is how I could do it in real life. Yeah, and it's you're not trying to get across this ideal version of the world, like as you just gave that anecdote. Exactly. It's, it's a reality. It's not a reality for everyone, but you know that is a situation that occurs a lot in the lives of non-binary people and trans people. Uh, so really, it's just getting that out into the world more. So it's the same way that, like, uh, if you're de identifying as she, her, and just uh, a very, that kind of sexism is something that you would integrate into a show where you have a female character, perhaps in a usually sort of male-driven workplace. If you don't address it, it's not, it's not true oh, absolutely. to That's not a female realistic. experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's also not the core of the female experience. It's not the defining thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I loved that. I wish, I wish the mics were on when you guys were talking before we started. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you made so much sense about what if you looked at this you know, old-fashioned model we have of just she and he as sort of this otherworldly, you know, like if, 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 yeah. if aliens Living were looking at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain that a little bit because I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Okay, so basically what I said uh, before I started podcasting is the fact that if you look at gender from a more removed, possibly even like sci-fi dystopian standpoint, you have uh, this reality where humans put each other into two different categories based on this one physical attribute and those categories come with a color they come with a certain name they come with certain opportunities and jobs that you'll be able to do they come with what's expected of you and that's so much of what we're seeing in the sci-fi genre and the dystopia genre of you know people being forced into categories without even realizing that that's so close to what our actual society looks like. Hope that's every that well. dystopian movie, yeah, right? Yeah. And we were joking. I mean, you said in a world, and I thought of those trailers, like yeah. in a world where you divide people into pink and blue, and <laughs> yep. can you believe that the rest of your life is determined by this one thing? I mean, that is every dystopia. Yeah. I, I love it. Can you actually write that? Would you? <laughs> yeah, please? absolutely. You have an assignment now. Oh, All right, just, cool. Ezra's like, great, terrific. Got to write my college essay That's first. right, that's true. This could be your college essay. It actually, it kind of oh. is. It kind of is, yeah. It kind of is. I am writing about being non-binary for my college essay. 
Well, I have, I've started opening my mouth already. I'm going to shut it because <laughs> I know that you had some other cool questions. Okay. So yeah, going along with that, um, I know that in some emails back and forth, I believe it was Sonia who mentioned the difficulty in using they, them pronouns for things like scene direction. And I just wanted to know uh, what your experience has been with that. I know I've had that struggle writing non-binary characters just in little short stories that I've written for myself. Like, how do you, how do you navigate the fact that we use they as both a plural and a singular form? Yeah, I think Sonia's probably written more of those kind of scenes. I've just thought about writing those th- okay. those scenes and been yeah. very afraid. <laughs> yeah. I think it just requires some adaptation and sensitivity. I, you know, when I first started writing that script with a non-binary character, I thought I was really just going to substitute in they for other pronouns one for one and it would work. And I started turning in pages to my writing group and they got so confused. And they're nice, well-intentioned people. They're willing to go with me on anything I put in front of with them. But, you know, it became clear that it was just grinding everything to a halt as they searched for reference that weren't clear. So I think to a large extent, you know, there were kind of two different things I ex- uh, experimented with that helped. The first was just removing pronouns as much as possible. You know, in screenwriting, the shorter, sometimes the better. And so if you can actually find ways to remove opportunities for pronouns, you know, just say, um, they did this and then, you know, climbed up the, uh, the mountain and then jumped into the boat. You don't have to repeat their name or pronoun every time. I'm sorry, that was an awful example, but I think you guys get the <laughs> yeah, gist. Yeah, we get it. Um, we or the it. other option is sometimes I would just substitute the first letter of the person's name as the pronoun, just so that I don't have to say Vesper, 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 who's mm. the character's name over and over and over okay. again, just V for them instead. And then it's clear that that's just the, you know, there's nobody else in the script that starts with a V though. If we had multiple V characters, that would become more confusing. So I think it just requires either stylistic adaptations to avoid any circumstances in which it can be unclear, or just repeat the person's name in situations where it may be unclear. But it just did require more handling and more thought. Um, And I did have to go back and edit those action scenes a lot more because I would even read back through them and be like, wait, what is going on here? So you just, I think it just requires um, an adaptation to the way we use language on some level, which I think can seem daunting, but it can also be an exciting opportunity to create a new style to um, describe a new experience that people are having. Yeah. And like, sometimes I feel it gets like, overthought almost like as you were talking I was thinking about how well people can also run into the same issue just writing a scene with two characters who use the same pronouns and usually what we do in that scenario is we just uh, make sure that the name is clear first uh, before you know describing any actions or using pronouns so you know which she you're talking about or which he you're talking about um, or which they or which they about. thanks thank you mom there could be multiple days yeah <laughs> yeah no That'll totally be the day totally. oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent um i was just giving the example of like the binary example i guess uh so yeah sometimes i think it, it's just overthought the english language has bunch of vague things and problems you can run into it would but be yeah. really nice if we had a better uh, gender neutral pronoun than they. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So, so <laughs> yeah. this, this like is, putting this it is out there. a yeah. discussion yeah. that Ezra and I have uh, coming back from school yeah. all the time, and and I uh, I, I, I make them crazy. Yeah. With this yeah. right um, because it is. I I grew up when I was a kid. Um, Ms. came into mm. fashion. And, you know, people don't know that that was something that that uh, women had to fight for. It was the term Ms. It was either Miss or Mrs. And Ms. is now part of our language. We have no idea. Like, I'll read period scripts where people use the, the word nice. Ms. Because they think it's been around that long. So I guess my my feeling is, why not 
another pronoun. Now, I know that doesn't have much to do with writing. It has to do with the, the bigger picture. And there the are others. Picture. Yeah, there yeah. are others. Um, there, Yeah, there definitely are. I feel like we haven't found one that really works in the way that uh, I was talking about, like Sweden created a completely new gender neutral pronoun that's been, you know, fully accepted by the people uh, who speak Swedish there. But we just haven't been able to find something like that. We haven't been able to create something like that yet. And what has naturally evolved has been the singular they, which is why I use it. Though, yeah, it should be noted that there are other um, people, other non-binary people who use uh, pronouns that have been created that are also meant to be singular and gender neutral. And so yeah. some examples for the audience, um, Z or here, um, mm-hmm. they sound kind of like in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also, I think that uh, Sonia's fix works really well too of doing that first letter. If you choose not to do a, you know, a completely yeah. a, a different pronoun. And the reason, Ezra, I think that it is important as, as far as the read goes is because you're judged so much on that read. And if people feel yeah. at all confused, it's not going to oh, yeah. go to the next level. Yeah, no. So it's, it's cool that you found you know, a, a fix, a way to honor the character and still make the read. No, yeah. yeah, I've, I've yeah. had friends have that issue uh, just even writing like um, stuff between two queer characters who are dating where you have um, two women who are dating because it's just, it's just hard sometimes when you're, soul two characters um are both called girlfriends and both (laughs) and uh both use the same pronouns and often the same label so that can so i've had friends run into similar uh issues with that and i just think that so i I get the issue of clarity 100 percent yeah I think you also have to give up the idea, though, that you can control and make sure that the audience is going to be clear. Oh, yeah. Because even after all the hand-wringing and all the meticulousness I put into trying to make sure it was clear and running it through so many different readers, you know, you get reader comments back, and some of them just were very confused about the pronoun thing, Mm -hmm. um, to where that that was a big feature and something they had trouble getting past. Um, So I think you just also have to anticipate that not everybody, because of the lack of familiarity, you just got to do the best you can and accept that hopefully enough people will get it, or hopefully there will be a big enough sea change in recognition that eventually it will stop being so confusing or disorienting for people. Sometimes a note at the top of a script, um, I've seen it for for people who are just speaking different languages in a Hmm. script. You know, uh, from now on, all I italicized words will be in Spanish or little, little things just so that it's clear for the rest of the read. Um, And hopefully it won't have to be something that you have to sort of stop and explain. But because we are, this is sort of a new venture for, for people. Uh, Maybe, maybe that would be a way to do too. Like here, here's the, here's the little note. Now can we tell the story? (laughs) Moving on. Yeah. I'm kind of a fan of note plus character interaction. Have a note for the audience and then immediately have, you know, or the, the like Taylor, you know, reminder out loud to reinforce it so yeah. they can see yeah. it. Yeah, you have to do something right away like. after the note or else it's lost, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's all of this can be solved through just a little bit of, you know, c- creativity and just a little bit of thinking. I, I kind of resent the idea that it's just too hard, you know, and I think that right. we, we're, we all know that and we're all, you know, proof of that. And yeah. we've said that about lots of things in history. It's oh, just yeah. too hard to, you know, do whatever. And it's not. It's mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you've mentioned uh, Taylor and Billions a couple times. Uh, so there isn't a lot of non-binary representation currently, uh, especially in mainstream media. But uh, would you guys care to share some of your 
like favorite examples of it, whether it's explicit or you believe it to be implicit in the writing of in about Taylor or in general? Oh, just in yeah. general. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, we were brainstorming a little bit and I couldn't think of many characters. We talked about in Transparent, um, the Gabby Hoffman character, Allie sort of plays someone who's exploring yeah. their gender. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's not totally clear to me that that person identifies as genderqueer or non-binary, just kind of like exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Taylor is the main one that that I've seen. And I, what I really like about that character is that Taylor is a real full person, uh, with Mm -hmm. lots of faults, you know, um, sort of, uh, for people that don't know the story of what happens with Taylor and billions, Taylor joins Axe Capital, which is an investment firm and is initially somebody who you'd think would be, uh, you know, was, came from very progressive background and would care about sort of doing the right thing, but sort of gets sucked into becoming, um, you know, one of these people that's just this eye banker, uh, that will almost do anything unscrupulous to, to advance themselves or maybe to, I'm not really sure totally what Taylor's goals are. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but, um, I just love that that's, I mean, this is a real character. I think a lot, a lot of, um, trans characters or, or I don't know, cause there aren't that many, you know, non-binary characters, but certainly trans characters, people try to portray trans characters now as kind of ideal, perfect people. And that's, what's so great about transparent, for example, that oh, yeah. the main character is not, but neither is the rest of the family. Oh, yeah. Everybody's Every, screwed up. Yeah. And that's, what's great about Taylor too, that Taylor's not a perfect person in some ways, yeah. you know, there's a little bit on the, you know, Asperger spectrum. Uh, mm-hmm. so so that's I, I that's what I really like about that character. Yeah. Any character you have to create somebody who is, you know, a real person who oh, yeah. has their, you know, their issues, but mm-hmm. that's how they come across and that's how the audience uh ends up seeing somebody who they can sort of identify with, like, oh, this person is a real person. Yeah. I have faults, they have faults. It's not some sort of fake Hollywood thing. Yeah, that's like that's a super great point because we don't just identify with characters on the basis of gender. I mean, no. I know I get very happy when I see right, non-binary right, right. characters. Please write more. Uh, but <laughs> you don't just look at this character and think, oh, cool, all their experiences align with mine. I get it. Uh, it's the it's their emotional responses. It's what they have to deal with in life. It's the way they react to things that really can connect you to characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, you've got somebody to your left who did create a non-binary character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's um, hear about it. As, oh, as a so lead. So, so what was your approach? Because uh, I know that it, 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 it sort of inspired you to get in touch and go, hey, you know what? I, I did this really successfully. I want to talk about it on the show. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I had fun with is a character who nobody could say they're doing anything that they did because they're male or female. I think I actually found that very freeing in a way. I know that um, Taylor in Billions is very gender neutral, very androgynous, doesn't have strong presentation factors for either. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed being able to play with a character that had some, you know, some traits that were heavily associated with masculinity alongside some traits that were heavily associated with femininity. And they just don't care. It doesn't occur to them. Yeah. They just do exactly what they want. And I think modeling that kind of a la carte approach to gender that just do the things that make you happy and let everything else go um, could also be really freeing for you know something that um, cisgender audiences could identify with. 
with in terms of, because everybody's given up something that they would enjoy doing for the sake of gender and conforming and not being harassed or teased. Yeah. I think at least in high school, I think most, or at least for my generation, I feel like most people have done that. Yeah, um, no, I, the, the minute that you said that, I went, wow, that sounds really fun. That sounds really free. Yeah. And that's very interesting. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Wow. And I also love the conversation we were having earlier. Um, you mentioned, you know, characters that aren't explicitly recognized as trans, but are oh, yeah. maybe gender non-conforming. You mentioned Brienne of Tarth from Game of Thrones. I'm also yeah. thinking of Starbucks, or Starbucks, sorry, not the coffee chain, <laughs> Starbucks from um, Battlestar Galactica. I'm unfamiliar, but enlighten me. I mean, it's similar. It's just the character. I mean, there. it was a male role in the original version of that TV show, and then they recast it as a female who just does not behave in a feminine manner at all. They smoke mm -hmm. cigars and drink and... Um, you know, what's the male version of womanizing, I don't know, going out there and, and doing that. Um, and so I think you also have these characters, just, just any character that refuses to conform to ideas of gender, I think also adds to this conversation and this narrative about what it means to be a little bit different. Because I mean, if you're mm -hmm. visually perceived as being non-conforming, I feel like even if you don't identify that way, you have to deal with some of the difficulties of oh, yeah. non-conforming. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's what I love about Brianna Tarth's character is that um, even if I'm sure the intention wasn't to write her as non-binary, at least not at first. Um, I don't know. So, but I, I see her character and even though I would completely understand if someone who identified as a masculine woman saw her character and really identified with it, I identify with her character for similar reasons where, you know, I see her kind of squirm when someone calls her a lady or doesn't recognize that you know she is she does not want to fill that role she wants to be out in the world and she wants to protect someone really uh so yeah i think it's cool to have characters that aren't explicitly stated uh for that exact reason because everyone has an experience with gender that they can identify with in that sense I was yeah, going to say, oh, oh, oh go ahead. I, I love the idea that Sonia is bringing up that these kind of characters can also help audience members to explore themselves and think about themselves as being allowed to go outside of, you know, certain prescribed boxes that they're in. Uh, this idea that um, cisgender people or actually I think we've seen uh, more sort of gay and lesbian characters on TV kind of outside of, of gender norms yeah so we've been seeing that for longer and and people being able to see that and say interesting like i could do that i oh, don't yeah. have to kind of fall in these boxes i'm actually thinking about this as a total tangent but yeah um, i'm thinking about um a young actor that i know uh this is a kid named izzy stannard who lived across the hall from me in uh, manhattan when i lived in manhattan uh is 13 years old and just joined uh the cast of good girls which is a new nbc uh show that's coming out and is in atlanta filming that so um, Izzy first identified as, I think, bisexual and then a lesbian um, and has now come out as trans. And the character that Izzy is playing, they envisioned as um, a young lesbian character. Uh, and so Izzy's kind of look fit that very well. Um, but when Izzy said to uh, the producers that, they, uh, that he identifies as uh, a trans guy, um, they actually rethought uh, the oh, way that they were envisioning this character. And they said, we think that this character could still sort of um, explore gender in the ways that we were thinking about, uh, but maybe we can make it a trans character. 
Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't actually know. So I can't give any spoilers because I don't actually know what's going to happen with this character. But I think it's so interesting that you can go from, you know, somebody that's pushing, you know, gender or sexuality in a certain way um, and then explore that a little bit further and say, well, maybe we can go to this place that we weren't thinking about going really allows you to go a little bit further. But, you know, things. also just as you're describing this, it makes me realize how much we um, describe characters in scripts or on screen as by their sexuality, not by who they actually are. Right. So we say Absolutely. gay, straight or lesbian. Oh, not a lesbian character of this. Well, what what you were talking about has nothing to do with how they have sex or who, who they have, have sex, sex with a 13 year old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just an, it's, it's an identity and looking at people now yeah. in terms of identity, which is what we're talking about mm-hmm. here rather than their sexuality mm-hmm. is actually way more fair to them, you know, yeah. and, and much more, uh, I don't know, much more in depth yeah. than and a little less seedy because it's about who you are not who you're attracted to and I don't know that we need to do this for your for your audience but you know I I teach a bunch of um you know intro to LGBT 101 and things like that for healthcare providers and I always do that the first thing that I do is you know what's gender identity versus sexual orientation Mm -hmm. right so you say okay gender identity is your own gender and how you identify versus sexual orientation is the people that you're attracted to, mm-hmm. which are really very different things. But because over time we've come to have these stereotypes about gay men and lesbians as being sort of different in terms of their gender, uh, we have sort of put them on this spectrum. Or also, also saying, and they're all one way. You know, right. as though that is right. a character yeah. description. Mm-hmm. Like we wouldn't say, you know, uh, Pilar Alessandra, heterosexual. Like that doesn't mean anything, right? Right. Um, oh, that, yeah. I, I'm learning. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. Uh, I've got on a lot of tangents as well. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, even like going beyond that, I don't know how much gender always says about a person either, you know? Um, yeah, I care. Like it matters to me if I because I want to address people correctly and in a way that makes them feel comfortable. But beyond that, it's like, okay, cool. You're this, uh, do you, do you like art? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite color? You know? <laughs> well, actually, Sonia, you, you yeah. came up with a list, right? You, oh yeah. Um, yeah. But I, so that list would be more towards things that are trans specific because I mean, the important thing is that when you're writing trans characters, you have all the normal human stuff and then you just have these extra complications oh, yeah. on top. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did start a list. Um, it includes things just like systematically thinking about how this affects different areas of their life. So when you talk about Taylor and Millions, one thing I think about every, or sorry, Billions, one thing I think about every time I see that show is the fact that they're so exceptional and they're accepted in their work environment in part because they're irreplaceable. Um, and that's a strong trope I see a lot of the times is if you are trans and you're not pass- if you're not possible or don't care about passing in one way or the other, um, you kind of have to be indispensable to make sure that you're not disposable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to me, that really reminded me of some work environments. There have been work situations where I knew that it would be okay for me to come out just because they can't get rid of me. And then there are times where I have to think about how disposable I am and, you know, whether I might make customers uncomfortable or something like that if they know. Um, And interestingly, historically, that's been true for every group that's sort of been marginalized, right? When women were first coming into the workforce, you had to be this amazing, like, incredible person at your job or else bye. And you could only be there if you were this, like, perfect person that they needed. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think other questions were things like, um, you know, if they, when did they transition? And if they knew about it beforehand, why did they wait? I think that yields some fascinating answers, too. You see that explored in Transparent. Um, with genderqueer characters, you won't always see any form of transition, or a lot of times it may not be what people expect. But I think the more interesting question than, like, the mechanics of how that's done is, you know, what social pressures caused them to hold that in for so long, and what made the tipping point for them to actually follow through on that? Um, so this is like having a character bio. These are some of the, you know, we, we ask of our characters some backstory issues that have to do with how they grew up, um, what they had to repress, what freedoms they had. And so when you're talking about non-binary characters, this is a list of questions to think about so that when, you, when they start page one, you know who they are. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're addressing it within the, within the show or within the script, but... But you know, right? I agree with that completely. And I mean, I think some of these questions will be relevant. For instance, in Billions, we keep going back to that, but we don't see it's any aspect one. of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, all we got, um, it's all we got to hold on to. Um, we never see, or at least um, I don't think we see um, that character in their like home environment or in anywhere well, they other than where... buy that big, like, beautiful condo that's oh, super that's expensive. Right, yes. But yeah, I mean, you don't see like a personal life or anything like that. Yeah. So in that case, it's really just the work, you know, the work stuff yeah. that matters. So I think if this seems overwhelming, if it seems like there are too many questions, just start asking, you know, whatever the show is focusing on, start by asking, how would this impact their life in that specific realm? And I think you will get a lot of fruitful questions. Um, I was thinking um, that it's, um, it's interesting to talk about whether you want to give everybody's backstory. Um, if you wouldn't give the backstory you know, specifically outright in an episode or in a, in a film about someone else do, is that just information that we know about the character as we're writing or do we specifically put in that information? So I guess where I'm going with this is, so in orange is the new black, for example, you see Laverne Cox's, um, you know, story before she's in prison because you see everybody's story before yeah. they're in prison. But in a lot of um, films or TV shows about trans characters, they're the only person's backstory who you see in that way in how they came to, you know, identify the way that they identify. You don't see the other people in that story's backstory. And it's, I think it's sort of this um, idea that we think the audience needs to know like how this person became trans or whatever it is where we don't need to know about how these other characters became who they are because we don't really, we can't really truly understand or this is the idea that we couldn't really truly understand a trans character unless we're able to see how they came to be who they are, which is sort of messed up. Um, I mean, I love the idea of having in our heads how the character became who they are, just like you would for any other character in anything that you write. But how much do we really explicitly state that? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I think, though, that, that like getting back to a character biography, biographies are for the writer. Um, they're yeah. so that when you hit the page, you, you feel you know the character. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't do that if you haven't really thought about who they Absolutely. were before page one. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so whether you make that part of the story has to do with whether it's relevant to the story. Um, I'm, I'm curious. You've got a uh, sci-fi script. Mm -hmm. It just happens to have a non-binary character in it. Um, uh, how, how did the identity actually affect the story or how did the story affect the identity of the character? 
Um, I think, I mean, I wanted to be, I kind of wanted to show different reactions to this character. So there are multiple, there's one character who just doesn't care at all. It's not in, a factor at all in how they interact with this individual. There's an uncle who is supportive, but doesn't always get it, you know, cause I think that's, that's my experience a lot with my family as people that are very well intentioned, but are growing and learning alongside um, me or the character perhaps. And then, um, yeah, there is an antagonistic character as well who doesn't get it so that you can see what it is like when you face persistent harassment in a work environment. Um, and I was just kind of interested in also opening up the idea of a character, um, yeah, who is messy, um, who isn't always good all the time. And so I also, one thing I've seen a lot and that I think queer people sometimes get a pass for that I wanted to discuss and dig into was the fact that I see a lot of... Um, discrimination towards other groups of people sometimes in the queer community. There are people who are oppressed, but they pass that oppression on to other people. So I really wanted to explore a character who has some problematic behavior and has to learn because they've been living in a bubble and haven't had a lot of exposure to people and, mm -hmm. and kind of show that process of somebody being exposed to people of difference, even though they're already different. Because I think a lot of times people assume if you're queer, you're like super liberal and down with everything. And I wanted to explore the idea that it's not always that part and parcel of a package. And um, queer or non-binary people can make mistakes or not get everything right in regards to other groups of people too. We're not all like the PC police, you know, super on it um, in that way. So I really wanted to explore that as well. So I just got on a tangent. No, I'm sure. Okay. Oh my God, tangents, that's actually, tangents are That's actually here. exactly what our uh, Stonewall Girls script yeah. is about. Yeah, I was. I, oh it, you were talking about something that was resonating a ton with me because you talked about the infighting within our communities and how we don't always respect each other in the ways that we should. Mm -hmm. And that's what Stonewall Girls is about. It's about you know, these two trans women that were, you know, living on the street a lot of the time, you know, very marginalized, who were, you know, very active in the early what was then called gay rights movement and, um, you know, did a ton of work and were on the front lines and were fighting and put their bodies out there. And then, you know, people turn around and sort of reject them from, you know, gay rights movements later on, not not even very much later on. Um, and they feel like they're too out there or they're embarrassing to the community and don't fight for their rights as they're fighting for other people's rights. And this is this is still happening. I mean, we, we had um, the HRC ENDA scandal. And I don't know if you you know, you probably know about that, Ezra, but um, I think it was around 2007 or eight. Um, where um, the Human Rights Campaign, which is one of the biggest LGBTQ organizations in the country, um, supported a, um, an Employment Non-Discrimination Act that would uh, not include gender identity, that just included sexual yeah. orientation. Um, and there was a ton of backlash. And it was a time when people could finally say, like, it's not okay, we have to work together and we have to support each other. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. it's definitely... There's always intersections um that there are identities that people are and aren't going to hold and just because like sonia said you know just because you belong to one group doesn't mean you know everything about all of them um i don't i don't know where i was going with this <laughs> you showed me a clip from from uh a clip with, oh, with the leads yeah. with sylvia rivera and marsha p johnson you showed me yeah. sylvia last Oh yeah. Okay. Right. That's not, this isn't what I thought you were going to talk about, but okay. Uh, yeah. I, I just wanted to show uh, my mom one of the most like famous clips of Sylvia Rivera where um, she's, oh God, I'm, forg I'm blanking she's on the She's at the, the Washington Square rally. Yes. Probably. Yeah. 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 Um, just, just so she got an idea just cause I saw that you were doing that and I just wanted her to get an idea of, you know, what these amazing women do were you, like. Do you think if, if, if Sylvia back then had the words to express it, that Sylvia would describe themselves as non-binary? 
because it, it, that seemed to be uh, that seemed to be a very gender fluid person. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I yeah. don't know how I, I would ever guess how she would identify. I mean, she used female pronouns later yeah. on in her life and called herself transgender when that became popular in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back in the seventies, the word that she used was transvestite or queen or yeah they were they were regarded as uh drag queens at the time yeah right yeah mm-hmm. um and and but absolutely if you look at uh you know old videos of her it's she's just like wearing the most like amazing whatever she feels yeah. like on whatever day she feels like and she's just like very liberated like wonderful like i'm just gonna be myself in the ways that sonia's talking about like i'm gonna be you know you know i'm gonna have male traits in the ways that i feel like that fits me and i'm gonna have female but i would have I would have no idea how to define someone from that era. And that's, that's so interesting. What, yeah. what made you and Mike decide to write that script? I mean, I think we thought, what is the most interesting historical, you know, story about trans people? And it, and it was, it was this oh, yeah. time that was just, I mean, these two really amazing, exciting people uh, who were, you know, faced the, this adversity with a group of people and then were betrayed by that same group of people. And that I think history moves um, in sort of these backwards, forwards, two steps forward, one step back. You also don't see the ways that there was infighting within you know each movement. We're actually work. We actually uh, finished a second script that's about the uh, abolitionist and uh, women's suffrage movements in the 1800s and early 1900s, and there was the same thing was happening. So okay. you know a lot of the white women that were um, active very early on in abolition realized that they were you know also you know living through a time when they they didn't have the rights that they you know, should have. And so worked together as both abolitionists and feminists in the suffrage movement, Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony were, you know, good friends and knew each other. He was a feminist and stood up for her and she was an, you know, anti-slavery and stood up for him. And then the civil war happened and the reconstruction amendments happened. Uh, And what happened with that was that it was a time when our nation had to decide, like after we were letting these people out of slavery and right now only white men have the vote, are we going to just add black men or are we going to add everyone? You know, and there was a lot of tension around that and they actually sort of, you know, split. Uh, there were huge divisions in the movements and Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony fought and, you know, Frederick Douglass stood up for it. This is what we need in this moment. If this is the only thing that we can get, we need to take it. Um, you know, some of the white women that had been involved in, in uh, abolitionist movements said some very racist things after that. And we don't we, we we sort of don't learn that stuff in school. We don't learn that there were all these sort of conflicts and, you know, just the these, um, you know, really difficult back and forth times and that things are not perfect. And this mm-hmm. re- reflects the conflict you were telling me about within the current LGBTQ community where there's. Like what we were watching history, yeah, okay. history yesterday. Yeah, this yeah. is what I thought you were going to bring up earlier. Uh, is that one of the main conflicts in her story, which is a wonderful web series? Uh, one of the main conflicts is that you have a cisgender lesbian and a queer questioning trans woman, and the cis lesbian she's trying to interview this trans woman and learn more about the community, while also trying to reconcile the fact that her friends do not view her other cis um lesbian friends do not view trans women the same way she does and trying to you know kind of help them understand when they really don't want to understand um why they have to 
help other people in their community. Um, and she was really hostile about it. Too. Oh yeah. Like, no, that's why I was like, like they ex- were not right. <laughs> they did not want to understand. Um, and that's why it's important to the thing about Taylor in billions is that they're the only one in a sea of just white men in this, um, what is it? A company a firm? What I don't think yeah, it's like an investment money. bank. Okay, so in the money, yeah. something with suits and money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've Who only knows? seen clips, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what can also be interesting is seeing the way that different characters within the LGBT community, seeing the way that um, you know a person of color and a trans character are going to interact, uh, and that's why we need you know more diversity in our scripts, is because those identities can inform each other. And also there can be there can be conflicts there because right now when whenever we're trying to introduce this character that has a background that's different to what we're used to typically seeing, there's a pressure, which Sonia said, to write the good minority, to write this model person who does everything right when, you know, in reality people are just more complex than that. And sometimes you have characters like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, who were actually left out of certain adaptations of the Stonewall movement because they were just seen, even though that's real, you know, they're real. This was their reality and the life they lived. They were seen as too out there, too complex for an audience to actually handle. When but that's what's so great about them. I mean, Sylvia was an alcoholic. Yeah, one hundred percent. Marsha was at Bellevue. Like, so yeah, tying that all together. I didn't they didn't they substitute like like one of them is known for (laughs) throwing the first rock or the first brick, right? And so they, Sylvia, yeah, yeah. well, she she always says it was the second Molotov cocktail, but people say she was the first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they substituted yeah. some cute white boy, right? Yeah, in yeah. This, I mean, I think Stonewall? he was supposed to be Italian or Puerto Rican or something. Yeah, but it was uh, somebody who wasn't, at least from the movie, wasn't clearly trans. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, like that, and that was gender, like gay man. Was that uh, Stonewall? That was yeah. I believe this movie just called Stonewall. Like right. not to not to be too shady but yeah <laughs> but yeah that one mm-hmm. well i you know my uh, where are we we're at 45 minutes already can you believe this we've been chatting what? and chatting, chatting. Can, I, yeah. I have like a whole other podcast i, I want to do i want to ask well, i want to ask one question and uh i was wondering if i could get some advice from the three of you okay mm-hmm. so i have for years taught a class called Writing the female-driven screenplay. Actually, it's called Beyond the Chick Is this the one you took, Sonia? I don't think so. Nope. No. <laughs> nope. It's, uh, I only do it about once a year now. It's, so it's called Beyond the Chick Flick, Writing the Female-Driven Screenplay. And it's the way I always taught it was, um, okay, we take like uh, Sigourney Ke- Weaver's character in Alien, okay, for example. Everybody knows that it was originally written for a man. Right. And then she was brought ah, she was brought in as oh, you know, ended up playing it great and they didn't change anything about the role and that's why it was so great. So it was the idea of, wait a minute, you can write uh, a female character like a man. And then I would do another example, but in Aliens, right, the next the next uh, movie, they because she is a woman, they say, Okay, well what is integral to the feminine experience? Okay, let's add that. And so this whole thing is this going back and forth between the male experience, or let's say the the conventionally male experience, the conventionally female experience, and how, if you do think sort of honor both in a female character, um, that can make 
a, a rich character. But I had this moment in the last class where I went, oh, I think I've been talking about just being more non-binary in our, our, our ways of looking at female characters on screen, that they can incorporate what's traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine, not turn their back on that, and that will make them more interesting. So I guess my question to you is, should I stop teaching this class? <laughs> should I add something about non-binary? Should I change the title of it to writing non, you know, like ideal characters are non-binary? Like, I don't know. Can you help me out? I think the version of that class that I would be most in love with would just be writing outside of gender, just writing characters that are, you know, whether male or female who don't conform, um, because then it's no binary at all. But once again, that might be a bit out there for some people. Um, I like that. No, though. that's brilliant. Because then you great. could do action movies thinking. with men that weren't right, that right. weren't sort of like the same. Like you could do both ends of the spectrum, not so, just like not the traditional chick flick, but not the traditional action. So writing yeah. outside of gender and just really look at. You know, rich characters and the fact that it incorporates all these parts of us. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what I would also add to that is just like uh, I keep losing my train of thought. I'm so sorry. Uh, the idea that breaking down these um, norms of gender can also help not just women, not just non-binary characters, but they can also uh, help make more complex male characters, which yeah. I wish we saw more of. Um, you know, I believe something that we've talked about is the fact that every time you're watching one of those stereotypical action movies with this like big buff white guy, when any man in a movie shows emotion, it's often through anger. It's through like punching a wall or something. And just the way that Sonia's idea of, you know, breaking down and writing without gender uh, how that helps everyone, how that helps all your characters. Because when you're not strictly thinking about like, okay, well, women, you know, I can't write the stereotypical woman, so we're going to scale that back. Um, you know, it's why are we still writing stereotypical men? And why, why do these categories have to be exclusive to them, I guess? Yeah, and breaking down the model, even though I haven't done a very good job of it, but... Also talking about gender outside of like, this is what women do and this is what men do. Right, da, right. Da, 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 da. Yeah, hopefully that made sense. That makes sense. I'm completely changing my class. And I think that to some extent, you know, I think Hollywood is a little bit responsible for creating these ideas of what's a traditional man and a traditional woman. And then it becomes a this kind of... A little bit responsible. A little bit. I'm, little trying to, bit. I'm trying to understate things. Um, and then there becomes this kind of feedback loop where, you know, oh, where new writers think, oh, that's what I'm expected to do. You know, I'd better hit those marks to appeal to the, you know, if that's what people want, I'd better hit those marks and write those kinds of scripts. I know I felt a ton of pressure to write like that when I first started. And I only really started to feel comfortable when I started writing non-binary characters and people where I stopped thinking about what did people expect as much in, front, in terms of gender and just did my own thing. And I think, that, I think that eventually audiences would respond well to that stuff because I think people do get tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. And characters that are original and fresh and don't do exactly what we expect to them, I think those are some of the most invigorating characters out there. So I think this is a huge opportunity to just start making characters that are just themselves. Because even if that's the message Hollywood puts out there that this is, you know, this is what male is, this is what female is, the lived experiences of people over the United States don't conform to that exactly. Um, there are just so many different ways to be masculine or feminine. 
And I think we could do a better job of reflecting that in our writing um, on top yeah. of the just like trying to get a little bit away from thinking that things have to fall into one of those two camps. So well said. Very well <laughs> said. Yeah. 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 Uh, thank you so much. This has been enlightening. Um, Sonia, that list that you have of some questions to think about when writing non-binary characters, would you send it to me and could I could I offer it up to the listeners? Of course. Yeah? yeah okay, that. so if you're interested in that handout, go to... Uh, just just write me at inquire, I-N-Q-U-I-R-E, at onthepage.tv. If you are a Patreon me- member for On The Page, just go to Patreon slash On The Page or something like that, um, <laughs> you automatically get every handout that we talk about. Um, so if you if you contribute $5 or more, so, uh, so check that out. Um, I want to make sure that everybody hits uh, Laura's books because they yes. are so good. Sonia brought her copy with her. Do you want to give a little plug for it, Sonia? And that's what I was going to say. You know, there's this list of questions I have, but in a certain way, I feel like you could use this book as the same resource. If you, you know, it's a big book, but if you just look at the introduction, it breaks down trans lives by content areas. And if you're just looking for, oh, what's it like to be in a relationship if you're trans? There's a section for that, along with examples from actual trans people. Yeah. And so I feel like if this is meant to be a community, I feel like for, for what I jokingly call baby trans, like people that are new to the <laughs> trans identity. Oh, yeah. But I feel like it would also be a startlingly insightful uh, resource for cisgender people who really want to understand this from the outside. So, like, there's health and wellness, our relationships and families, life stages, like talking about how do trans people deal with kids. So, whatever your character is going through in your script, if they're trans, I have a feeling you can find something in here that will address and talk to it. Um, yeah. And so, this would, I think, be a great resource and another way in to start thinking about all the complexity of trans lives. And I'm sure that for cis people, if you read something like this, there are going to be things you would never even think of. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, that's why research is important. Mm-hmm. What you think is going to be in your head is always different from the lived experience. So I would really recommend this as an entry point to try and think more about what makes us different um, and also what makes us just like everybody else. So yeah. when, when, you, Thank you, when you email me for uh, Sonia's list, I will make sure and put a link on it to Trans Bodies, Trans Selves by Laura, uh, because I agree, it's it's an amazing book um, and then you. also you wrote something called um, You're in the Wrong Bathroom right? Yeah it's called You're in the Wrong Bathroom and uh, 20 Other Myths and Misconceptions about Transgender and Gender Nonconforming People the longest title uh, ever in existence well, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's actually tiny it's uh, so trans bodies uh, people in the audience can't see it in real life but it's huge it's like 700 it's pages it is. Yeah. it is the second book is just short essays that are a good introduction for people that don't know that much and actually a lot of uh, stuff in there you wouldn't necessarily know know about history even if you do know something about trans lives there's some interesting tidbits Mm -hmm. i uh i once read a book about a genderqueer genderfluid protagonist uh that i am pretty sure was written by a cisgender person who had a scene where the protagonist was being bullied and they fled to a school bathroom and interesting if they had read either one of your books i'm pretty sure that wouldn't have happened (laughs) yeah there you go. So check that out. And also, where can people get in touch with the two of you? Um, are you are, do you tweet? Do you have websites? Late on us. I've been getting into Twitter, so you can find me at, at Sonia I. Ellis. Sonia I. Ellis. Yep. E-L-L-I-S. Yep. Yep. And Laura? I wish I could remember my Twitter. I think it's Dr. D.R. Laura E.S. <laughs> I think. Um, I'm also very easily reachable at Laura at transbodies.com. Okay, not to be confused yeah. with Dr. Laura. There we go. Right, the <laughs> other one. The other one. <laughs> yep. And what about you? Uh, you, Ezra. Yo. Yep. 
Um, I have a YouTube channel. I do that thing. Uh, it's called just Ezra Ray, R-A-E, E-Z-R-A-R-A-E. Um, and then I do tweet a bit. Um, I, t- I tweet all the time. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and my Twitter handle is Ezra Ray, but with an extra A at the end of Ezra. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And as you guys know, go to onthepage.tv so you can check out the classes, uh, the recorded classes, the Patreon page. Um, we are going to be signing people up now for the first draft class, which will start in January and run through February. It's Saturdays, 1230 to 3.30, and you can go from premise to pages. And like Sonia, eventually you can write an incredible script that the Nickel, Nickel Fellowship recognizes and which will soon be sold. That she actually wrote in your class. That's right. right. Yeah. And, and yeah. for the record, that class is very influential. I probably wouldn't have ended up writing a non-binary character without some encouragement to write about things that reflect more my life than what I was expecting. So I'm very grateful for that class. It definitely made a big difference for me. Excellent. Look at you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again to Laura Erickson Schroth and to Sonia Ellis and to Ezra Ray Dodson my 17-year-old, and I was about to say all these kinds of things that would embarrass them, so I'm not going to. Please don't. Okay. (laughs) And thanks to all of you for listening. Have a good writing week. 